Hello and welcome to a special VentureBeat takeover of the What's Next podcast recorded live from Slush Conference in Helsinki. I'm Chris O'Brien, VentureBeat's European tech correspondent. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing the interviews captured in the Samsung Next podcast studio at Slush, the Nordic's biggest startup and VC event. Each week, we'll highlight conversations with people behind today's most groundbreaking innovations. Up next, you'll hear from Jan Getz, CEO and co-founder of IQM Quantum Computers, which builds scalable hardware for universal quantum computers, focusing on superconducting technology. I'll be speaking with him about IQM, his vision for the company and industry, and raising 11.45 million euros in their seed round in summer of 2019. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Chris O'Brien, European correspondent for VentureBeat, here on day one at Slush in Helsinki. Uh, we have as our guest now Jan Getz of IQM, based here in this region. Uh, and, well, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot. I appreciate um, it. And so we're talking you know, to people here at Slush a little bit about uh, entrepreneurship, founders' issues, uh, innovation, um, so before we jump into the company itself, I want to hear a little bit about your story, about your background. Um, what were you doing in the years before? What was your sort of training area and, and uh, specialty? Right. Yeah. So I'm actually a scientist. So uh, when I came to Helsinki, um, this was for a postdoc two and a half years ago. I was in Munich before um, and I, I did quantum physics. So really deep, deep science. Um, and I came here to Helsinki uh, doing postdoc work actually with the intention to at some point go back to Germany maybe for a junior professorship or something like this. So I didn't really plan to become an entrepreneur um, then. Um, but then actually it turned out that if many things happened which in the end made the, the company um, possible. One thing is that the technology that we have here in Helsinki is, is just very, very mature and, and available. The other thing is that we have a very um, good team in place. Um, but still, this would also be a scientific setup that you can just do at the at the university. But then, actually, there were people in the background who were driving together with us this spin-out. So our company, IQM, it's a spin-out from Alto University and, and VTT. And all of the founders actually have a scientific background. Um, and we, we took great advice from, from business people who, who were driving this in the beginning uh, because they said, well, we need something on a European level happening in this field and Helsinki is just the best place to do it so please do it and then I said okay I jump in and I switched from a scientific career to a more entrepreneurial career. So I want to come back to that question in, in a moment but you know what time frame are we talking about when you arrived here in this region? How many years ago? Um, so I came here two and a half years ago. Typically, if you approach the academic career, you do a few postdocs, let's say one, two, three, and each of them are two years. So typically you switch probably from Helsinki maybe to the U.S. for two years and then go back um, there. So it was never intended to be here for a long term, actually. Now I'm, of course, committed um, with IQM. Um, but typically in, in science, the timescales are, are rather fast. And I've had a, t a chance to experience this a bit in traveling uh, in Finland and experiencing this uh, in Helsinki. I got a chance to visit Alta this week. You know, there there really is an emphasis, it seems like, on here on connecting uh, laboratory research, uh, basic research to entrepreneurship. Um, was that something that you were aware of before you came here, or was it something you kind of learned about after arriving? 
No, so I, as I said, my intention was not to become an entrepreneur when, when I came here, but it was to be a scientist, and this is something I learned here. And so I, I got my education in Germany on, on an old, um, very established uh, university where, where things are completely different. And you're right, in Alto there is a big drive to really make this transition out of basic research and do the deep tech, bring it into, um, into companies and, and make this step. And this is, I think, something that makes this um, Helsinki area very unique from this sense, yes. And so you, you made reference to something that shifted with quantum, uh, quantum computing that, that made this make sense in terms of taking it from the lab to thinking about how to turn it into a company. What, what are you referring to? What was happening that, uh, that sort of drove that? So we are a hardware company, which makes the case maybe even more, more special. So we are really building the machine, the quantum computer, the physical machine. And there, of course, you need a certain technology readiness to, um, to convince someone that this will be a business case, that, that they will use this kind of a computer for their business. And it's really, there was a big breakthrough in, on material science, but also on control electronics. So we are using microwave technology, similar to what you have in your smartphone or so, to control um, these circuits. But also from an algorithmic, from a software point, people were studying how can we make more simpler algorithms which don't have so... Um, in, in insanely high hardware requirements. So both happened from the bottom up. The technology just developed um, on a very high pace, but also from from the um, user point of view, the the algorithms that we now know are maybe a little bit more efficient, and and the, this makes the time scales now realistic for deep tech investors. And so now we are talking about five years or so until the technology will be used on the market. And so tell me again a little bit when you're saying you're developing the hardware. Who is that hardware for? Who who would buy this? Obviously, I'm not going to buy a quantum machine in the next 10 years probably, but... Yeah, so quantum computing is, is special. It's, it's uh, a type of computing that suits certain, certain mathematical problems very, very well. And, and these problems are typically the ones that big pharma and, and chemistry companies are... Um, trying to solve also the, the car manufacturers when they optimize logistics or, or factory optimization. So these are big com, um, computational problems that typically run in supercomputing centers. Um, so I think in the beginning what we will see is that the quantum computers will go into local supercomputing centers locally. Um, each country typically has one or, or a few of them. And then once the technology gets more and more mature and we find more and more use cases, I think we will use it um, as a remote service, maybe without even knowing it, right? If we are now Googling a something, we, we just send the problem to a computer which is standing somewhere in the world and the computer gives us back the answer. And I think on the long run, this is how a quantum computer will work. It will just solve some problems for you, which you don't even know that they are so complicated, but they are, and many of them are, are out there, and, and you will get the answer without even knowing that there was a quantum computer in, in play. And so to be clear, <coughs> excuse me, you're selling the quantum computer that would go into one of these spaces potentially uh, sometime in the next few years. Is it available now, or is it still what you would categorize we are as not development? We are now talking to these supercomputing centers and they are very, very interested in having the hardware available um, because what we will see is that there is a shortage of people who um, knows how to operate these systems because these people... <coughs> They typically have a very special education. These are quantum physicists, and, and, and there are not so many of them out there. Um, and, and what the supercomputing centers are thinking is 
they really need the hardware to educate their own people how to integrate the quantum computers into the, their architecture and, and how to operate this. And I think strategically this is important. Also then for the end users in the end, you want to have some understanding in your company how quantum will affect your business model. This is, for example, why the, the big car manufacturers or so, they all already now have their own quantum teams, which are watching the scene and, and checking how this technology will disrupt maybe their um, business model. And it does seem like an area that is moving quite quickly. And then the challenge, I think, if you're one of these companies, is to understand how much is, is hype and then practically what you can be doing to actually be getting ready for this this future uh, which seems potentially quite radical uh, down the road, but right now it's more a learning process from their end. So do you, do you guys have an approach to talking about that or because you're working with the data, is that not something you need to worry about because of who you're working with? Yeah, so I mean the hype topic is of course out there and there is a lot of hype and there is a lot of let's say, false or, or misunderstood information being published in, uh, in the media. And um, I think also part of our job is to tell the truth and, and tell what, what the reality is. And it's not that a quantum computer will solve every problem that we have in the world and, and, and this, but it will solve, um, at least in the beginning, very special problems in chemistry and in, in pharmaceuticals um, um, and this. And, and, and so in, in this way, um, I think... There is another main driver for quantum computing, which comes more from the um, military and security aspects, which is the fact that a quantum computer might factorize large numbers quite efficiently, and, and this would um, break some of the encryption codes that we are using, and, and this is the reason why there's a lot of funding coming from military sources, and of course we, we should also mention this, because there's also a driver for quantum technologies, which is not to make um, human uh, mankind better, but just as using it as a threat, because the one who has it, has it in the end. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we've seen this sort of uh, tension around AI the last few years. I mean, do you feel a similar tension around quantum in, in terms of people being both excited about the potential but worried about the consequences of kind of unleashing that? Yes, for sure. There's also a lot of nervous people around on a very high political level. For example, we see already now export regulations from the U.S. on some of the components even though there's no market at the moment, right? There's nothing being sold, but still they are um, controlling the key technology that they have. They, they don't even deliver it to Europe anymore. Um, the Chinese are ramping up a lot their programs in, in, in the big companies. And, and so there is this kind of fear that if we are missing this train and if we don't have access to the technology, then we are really missing a key piece in, uh, in, in, in modern technology. Um talking about the company now uh, so you outlined a little bit about what the business is or could be as it develops um, in thinking about the, the competition you know I'm aware of uh, at least a couple companies in the US I think one is based in the Canada in Canada that sells some kind of quantum machine uh, you know obviously Google made a lot of noise with their quantum supremacy announcement I think it was about maybe a month ago or so I think it's less clear to me what Google's uh, business proposition is I don't think they're wanting to sell quantum machines. Uh, IBM has another, uh, essentially, at the moment, not necessarily a business, but kind of a program that I guess allows uh, effectively people to have like cloud access to remote quantum so they can do what you're talking about, um, you know, 
getting comfortable with it, learning, experimenting with it. But is there is there enough of these things happening that you have a sense that there is a market with competitors, or is this all still so early stage? It's it's not clear who among these people might be a competitor for what you're wanting to do? Yeah, so I think there are competing interests, for sure. Um, I guess, for example, Google wants to have the technology that's very clear, and, and, and I'm not super convinced that they actually want to sell it in the end. Um, and, for example, Google did a very pragmatic approach that just bought the world's best university team and they are now building the quantum computing for them, whereas in IBM there's a very long tradition in this. They already... Um, doing research on, on superconducting circuits for decades and, and they are building this on a very um, long long way down the road um, but however at the moment I think we shouldn't see it so much as the, a competition because at the moment there is no fully functional quantum computer out there yet and I think we all have the common goal in building one and we have enough technical challenges first to solve because we before we start thinking of who is the main competitor and, and these things and so in terms of building the company, tell me about what you look like now. How many people are there? Have you raised money from anybody? Yeah, so we closed our um, seed funding round this July, a few months back. It was a approximately $12 million um, seed funding round um, for building the hardware here in, in Helsinki. So we are located on the campus now, uh, mainly to use there the local resources in terms of the foundry that they have. We are now 25 people. Um, our goal is to raise um, the, the team size in, in the first one and a half years to approximately 40. Just to give you an idea, 40 is approximately what you find in the Google hardware team. So this was our goal to say, okay, after the seed round, we have set up a team in place which has the same um, power, the same size as, as the Google team, which makes us competitive there, and then use this to really start scaling the technology and, and everything behind it. And so... You know, I don't know if you had a chance to see this, but each year at Slush, Atomico, the venture capital firm, publishes a state of European uh, technology. Uh, this year, one of the areas they highlighted is kind of this broad, vague category that people refer to as deep tech. Um, and that includes everything from robots to artificial intelligence to now quantum computing. Uh, certainly within that category, you know the amount of funding that's been raised by uh, by by quantum companies globally is still at the lower end of, of all those categories. But it was interesting to note that a, a Europe had attracted a larger percentage than even the U.S. or Canada, and certainly Asia. Uh, and so there seems to be this sort of you know this hope building that deep tech in general and quantum specifically uh, becomes an area that. Europe can really be a champion of. Uh, do you get the sense that there is kind of a, a, a an advantage or or some sort of possibility in terms of the where the talent is, mm -hmm. where the interest is that that this becomes a center long term for quantum leadership? Yeah, so this is a very very good point, and I think this is a very very big chance for Europe because the money typically goes to where the good people are, right? And as this field is now emerging from the academic sector into a um, more commercial sector, um, the money goes to the best research teams in the world, and, and Europe has really the world-leading research teams. And then, for example, in, in the US, where the effort is mainly driven for from IBM, for example, you cannot, as a VC, so well invest into IBM, right? So right. this is why there are not so many possibilities, I guess, just in, in the US, as, as whereas in, in Europe, we have this very strong um, 
academic um, culture, which is now emerging out of the um, out of the universities into the um, commercial scene, and, and this is why there's just a very good chance to invest into Europe at the moment there. And, and I think we should take it, and and I think we can do it. Yes. And specifically in Finland, then you know, do you see that as being then one of the hubs for quantum in Europe? Yeah, Finland is definitely so. Finland has a um, so-called center for excellence uh, in, in quantum technologies, and there are more than 110 people working there on, on campus. And and this is really a number which you maybe find in a handful of places worldwide. Um, so this is really one of the leading places globally for for quantum technologies. And in Finland, this has been, of course, this is nothing that you do overnight. But this was a strategic thinking, also from the university professors, but also from the politics, to identify quantum as maybe one of the next big. Things. Things and then systematically funding this, and, and this is what we are seeing now. For example, one of the global leaders in enabling technologies, Blue Force, which is building the cryostats to reach the low temperatures, it's a Finnish spin-off out of Aalto University. So this is really a, a very nice structure that we have here. And so you're starting to see, in a sense, a, a small for the moment, but a kind of quantum ecosystem starting to gradually emerge. Um, have you also then seen you know people whether it's moving into europe or finland specifically you know other talent looking around and saying okay uh where are people working on the most interesting quantum issues mit or stanford or finland choosing to come move to europe yeah this has happened and i mean of course the most natural place for us to hire would be helsinki area but this basically just means shifting workforce from A to B in the same ecosystem. So what is very important for us is to attract people from outside our own commun local community, and we have been able to attract people from Australia, from the US, but also from uh, Europe, um, big places, for example, ETH Zurich and, and others. So this is the thing is, at the moment, on this scale, we are the only hardware um, company in Europe doing it. Um, and so this is a unique chance for people who want to work in quantum, to do it um, because before there was no jobs for them in quantum right they went to banks or maybe to car manufacturers or other things yeah and that said you know even with IBM and whatever Google's interest is um, is there a concern about being able to compete for that talent because this is not just true I think for quantum this is a challenge in Europe in general where you know let's say some algorithmic researcher from Paris Is thinking maybe I start a company and then Google calls and says, how about $300,000 a year to come to Silicon Valley? It's, it's often money that's hard to compete with, frankly, uh, with some of those bigger companies. Is that something you've seen or is that kind of too early to really have that kind of no, talent company? No, these are good points. And of course, as a startup, we cannot... Um, compete with, with salaries which are, are uh, in, in the big companies um, but we, what we can offer is a different operating style right? so in a startup typically you work in a different way than in a big um, company and for example the leading startup in the US Rigetti in this field um, he was at IBM before and I guess there were reasons for him to try to do it himself instead of continue the work um, at IBM. What we are seeing is motivations like people many people still like the teaching aspect not giving lectures, but teaching young talents how to do it. And what we can offer is, for example, PhD um, work. It's, it's still very academic field. So um, then, of course, the, the Nordic or European lifestyle in general might be different than the U.S. Um, lifestyle or maybe for, for people from China. We have Chinese people working in our company. So there are many reasons, um, actually, um, besides money, 
um, to to work for a company like us. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's social issues. I think that Europe has the potential to position itself as in terms of quality of life and things like that. Versus, I, I lived in Silicon Valley for 15 years. I mean, it's wonderful in many ways, but it's also crushing in, in many other ways. So. Uh, we've heard t- people talk a lot about that this week in Finland, for instance, just about the, the social support that you get. Um, but coming back to the academic part, then, what is the challenge now that you're officially a company and not maybe maybe you're very focused on research still, but you're not an academic in- endeavor anymore? So how has that changed the relationship with the broader scientific community in terms of? being able to discuss research or expectations that you're sharing breakthroughs that you made or publishing into that broader body of knowledge well of course we want to still closely interact with the academic sector for many reasons one of course is the talent pool we need to have access to this but also still there is a lot of great work still going on in the universities and we want to benefit from this right for example we could license technology that has been developed in in, in some universities and and give also something um, back to them so I, I think we need both approaches at the moment. You don't build a quantum computer in a university. That's clear. You need to have a larger um, company effort for this because it's just different type of research that you're doing. But still, we have very challenging prom, uh, problems. And, and the more people we have working on this, the better. And the more approaches we take, the better. So I think if we just combine everything we have, we are having a very good chance of just getting to our goal in the end because this should be our motivation, right? We want to build a working quantum computer and we should take every chance to get there that, that is um, somewhere on our table. But you still feel like, you know, again, in terms of people external, that uh, you can be a part of that broader community and that conversation without someone now kind of looking at you and thinking, okay, what what is really the motivation here? Is it that we're all trying to advance this exciting breakthrough technology that could change the world or is someone maybe not you personally but are they really wanting to engage with us to just try to you know snap up the ideas or snap up my colleagues or something like that yeah, it's, a, it's a it's a valid point and you have to be I guess very careful in how you communicate it and, and how you do it so we have from the beginning before it was public that we spin out a company um, been talking to the thought leaders in, in this field and we have been breaking the, uh, bringing them behind us so they are our background supporters so instead of creating a situation where they may be seeing us as a competitor because we will be hiring their students or whatever we have been trying to convincing them of our idea and supporting this and then we say okay if we do it together you will get something back right because we will get anyways more funding for you if you have an industrial partner for example so it's there are two sides to the medal, and I think what you just need to do, you need to carefully communicate this to the right people in a sense that the message is very clear. We don't want to compete with universities or, or anything. We just want to do it together in the best way possible. Well, one last area to talk about there uh, along these lines. You know, that issue of the academic in entrepreneurship, certainly... You know, I came from Silicon Valley where Stanford is sort of the extreme model where it seems like uh, so much of Silicon Valley flowed out of uh, startups, flowed out of uh, Stanford classrooms or laboratories. And that idea that researchers should be linked to industry, should be participating, should be thinking entrepreneurially is really coded into the DNA there. I'm based in France now. 
And certainly when I came, you know, universities took a very pure stance toward this idea that, you know, we are here to do research. We are not entrepreneurs. We're not here to serve industry. And now there's a push underway to, to change that thinking to get more uh, research out of the labs into companies and to, to encourage more people like yourself to go out uh, and, and really make links, make ties, whether it's advising, consulting, or starting companies. Um, looking broadly at Europe, I mean, do you see a shift when you look back at Germany, for instance, where you came from? Is there a change there, or is it still really very traditional in terms of the academic mindset? I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not long enough maybe into the game to say if there's a change or not, but I, I, what we see is more and more of this. And I think the more we see, um, people will realize also on the university side that there is a positive impact for them on the long term, right? Because if what we are doing here now, wherever it goes, I will always remember where this has started, right? And, and, and there will be a positive impact back to the university because in, in one way or the others they will benefit um, from from this and I think once they start also the, the point the, the people which still might be uh, might be um, skeptical about this at some point I guess they will see okay on the long road there is a positive impact if we have spin outs if people bring R&D from the university lab out in, into companies there will be a long term benefit for them and, and, and I think we will see a shift yes well, this is great. I, I, I have to say, like, I've been pretty amazed at how fast the conversation around quantum has shifted the last year, uh, probably since I first wrote about it a year and a half ago, the acceleration and the optimism. So I think this is going to be a super interesting space to watch and, and really uh, see how quickly we begin to see the impact in some of these areas you mentioned. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. I know it's a busy show for everybody, so uh, it's great that you could take a little time for us. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thank you.